we're in one of the most significant and poignant passages as we go through our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of John. All of John is rich. All of John is profound because it centers on the person of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. That captures the essence of John's gospel. We are beholding the one who is full of glory, full of grace, full of truth. John's gospel is primarily the words of Jesus, with just seven of the works of Jesus selected by John as miraculous signs to show that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, to prompt people to believe in him so that they might have eternal life. So all of John is poignant. All of John is significant. But this chapter that we are studying and the words of Jesus in this chapter, the portrayals that Jesus makes of himself are so profound, so rich, And I pray that your heart with my heart is enriched tonight, filled with gratitude and worship to Jesus, who is truly worthy of it all. In the passage that we are studying, this first part of John, we've entitled it The True Gate and the True Shepherd. And as we come to verses 11 to 18 this evening, we are entitling those The Life-Giving shepherd. Before we look into this passage, let's go back and look at a couple of points that we made when we did an overview of this chapter at the beginning of this study. We said that John chapter 9 described the sixth of the seven signs that John curated to reveal the glory of Jesus and presented Jesus in messianic fulfillment as the ultimate healer and purveyor of grace. He sought out the man who was blind. He healed someone who had been blind from birth, something that there was no record of it having ever occurred. And a particular healing that was attributed in the Old Testament to the coming of the Messiah. Now, John chapter 10 has presented to us two more of the I am declarations of Jesus. And one of those especially fulfills one of the most profound Old Testament images of God in covenant relationship with his people. The second thing that I want to remind us of from our points of Christocentric significance is that unapologetically and without qualification, Jesus will present himself as the exclusive access to salvation. He will be unequivocal in declaring that there are no alternatives to his care and actions on behalf of the sheep. In stating thus, he will declare himself to be the willing and vicarious sacrifice who came as the singular means and with sufficient authority to determine the composition of the one flock. Now we're going to come back to those 
in just a few moments, but because of the significance of how Jesus presents himself in this passage, I wanted us to have these in view again as we begin to look at these verses. Verses 11 through 18. Let's look at what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, if you like to mark your Bible, let's make note of some things here. First of all, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Now, one of the things that we remarked on when we looked at the overview of this chapter is that Jesus repeatedly emphasizes things. And any time in scripture, when we see a repeated emphasis, we know that the writer is building the impact of the point that he is endeavoring to make. And repeated emphasis is prolific throughout this chapter. We saw it with the first I am. I am the gate. And then Jesus repeated it again. I am the gate. Here he said, I am the good shepherd. And then a second time, I am the good shepherd. Well, there is something else that he also repeatedly emphasizes in this passage. He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he said again, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, the reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. That's five times that Jesus has said in this description of himself as the good shepherd that he lays down his life for the sheep. And we are going to see why that is the key emphasis that Jesus is making in this passage. And all that he means when he said, I lay down my life. There's something else that Jesus repeatedly emphasized. And it is this little word for. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he said it again. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, the word for is very incidental to us. We 
use it so commonly, we don't think of it as a significant word. But later on in our study tonight, we're going to see why that word for the sheep, I lay down my life for the sheep, is such a significant word. There's one more repeated emphasis here, and it is this. Take it up again. I lay down my life only to take it up again. He repeats it. I have authority to take it up, to take my life up again. So all of these things, Jesus is repeatedly emphasizing that he is the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for the sheep, and that he takes up his life again. Let's look at how Jesus structures this passage because it's very significant and how he lays it out for us. He said, I am the good shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Because a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That is in contrast to the hired man who runs away. And then a second time, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Why? Because I lay down my life. For the sheep. In the first instance, Jesus has characterized what makes a good shepherd and declared himself to be a good shepherd. But in his repeated emphasis, he is declaring that not only is he a good shepherd, but he is the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on. This is the reason the Father loves me. I lay down my life. He enlarges more upon this aspect of laying down his life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. All of this concerning laying down his life for his sheep. And then he declared, this command I received from my father. And then another reason why he is the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And again, he has an explanation for it, a parallel for it. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Indescribable intimacy and union exists between Jesus and the Father. But Jesus is declaring that he is the good shepherd and his good shepherding has the ability and the sufficiency to bring about such a union between him and the sheep that it is just as profound spiritually as the union that exists between the Father and the Son. And then Jesus gave a third reason why he is the good shepherd. I have other sheep that I must bring in. And then Jesus made a final point concerning this whole paradigm of shepherding. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, as Jesus begins to enlarge upon his first statement, I am the good shepherd, 
He draws another contrast just as he did at the beginning of this chapter. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So Jesus makes a contrast. There are good shepherds and there are hired hands. And there is a distinct difference between good shepherds and hired hands. Jesus has already been building upon the Old Testament depiction of a shepherd. And that depiction characterizing a relationship between God and his people. In both Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, God spoke against shepherds who did not care for the flock, who took advantage of them and left them to be plundered and preyed upon. Ezekiel 34 is the premier passage out of all of those passages where God speaks about the shepherds who were derelict in their duty and did not care for the sheep. Look at the words that God speaks to Ezekiel the prophet. Ezekiel records, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched and looked for them. And then the Lord continued. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Remember back in the opening of this chapter, when Jesus began to talk about sheep and shepherding, he also talked about those who were of an other way, those who climbed over the wall rather than coming through the gate. He talked about thieves and robbers. Now he talks about hired men. And these hired men are characterized by God in Ezekiel as the shepherds of Israel who did not look after the flock. They plundered the flock. They took advantage of the flock. They used the flock for their profit and their purposes. And God pronounced judgment upon them. This needs to be a warning to everyone who is a shepherd over God's people in any capacity. These 
are the sheep of the Lord. Notice how in Ezekiel here, he characterizes them as my sheep. And he appointed the shepherds to shepherd on behalf of his concern for the flock. But instead, they plundered the flock. And Jesus, when he began speaking about thieves and robbers and other wayers, was indicting even further the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and those who did not lead his people to the only way that they could be saved. Another indictment is coming here. They are acting as nothing more than hired hands. They don't truly care for the spiritual well-being of the sheep. They don't labor on behalf of those sheep truly being safe and secure in the care of their shepherd. They leave the sheep exposed. They don't guard them. They don't watch over them. They aren't praying for them. They aren't exhorting them. They aren't teaching them. They aren't leading them in pastures where they can be fed. They are simply concerned about their own agendas and their own well-being, not that of the sheep. And so the Lord makes this statement. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Now, there's a prophetic fulfillment that Jesus brings into play here when he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Remember, there are seven I am's that John presents here in his gospel, along with the seven miraculous signs that testify to the glory of the one and only who came full of grace and truth. These seven I am's testify that Jesus is the son of God. They speak to his divinity, that he is the word who was God and has become flesh. God, the one and only who is among us. The only one to have seen the father and is revealing the father to us. And so when Jesus uses this term, I am, as we've already studied it last week and in previous passages, Jesus is using the same words that God spoke to Moses when he said, you tell the people that the one who sent you is, I am that I am. I am the good shepherd. Here's what God says as he continues to speak through Ezekiel. I will save my flock. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then he said, You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. 
Now, we are going to see later on in this chapter that yet again, the Pharisees will take up stones to stone Jesus. And when Jesus questions them yet again, why do you want to kill me? Their response will be, because you are making yourself equal with God by what you say. What is Jesus doing here as he declares, I am the good shepherd, as he contrasts himself with the hired men, with those Jewish teachers of the law who imposed heavy burdens upon the people, but did not lead them to the way of life, did not pasture them, did not care for them spiritually. Jesus is presenting himself as the fulfillment of this passage in Ezekiel. As the Messiah, the son of David, as the promised one who would come, who would come and save the flock, who would come and be the one shepherd, who would come and claim the sheep as his sheep and would pasture them. Remember what we said concerning the Christological importance of this passage. Unapologetically and without qualification, Jesus presents himself as the exclusive access to salvation. He is unequivocal in declaring that there are no alternatives to his care and actions on behalf of the sheep. Thus, Jesus declares himself to be the willing and vicarious sacrifice who came as the singular means of salvation for the flock from the wolves that had plundered them and the worthless shepherds who had abandoned them. This picture of Jesus that he is presenting here as the good shepherd as we said earlier, is one of the most profound pictures in the Old Testament of God's covenant relationship with his people. And again and again, the Lord speaks about his relationship with his people. Again and again, people of Israel picture their relationship with God as sheep with a shepherd. As God in his covenant relationship watching over them, caring for them as a shepherd. It begins all the way back in Genesis, in Genesis 48 and 15. Jacob declares, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Genesis 49 and verse 24, because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Listen to these words of Moses as he desires from the Lord someone to take his place and to lead Israel. Listen to the descriptions and listen to the familiarity of the words that Moses presents to God. Someone, a shepherd, to go out and come in before them, speaking of Israel, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Familiar phrases and descriptions, aren't they? We've heard Jesus use these words concerning himself. 
here in John chapter 10. The very familiar words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me, he directs me, he guides me, he is with me, he comforts me, he anoints me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 80 in verse 1. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who tend Joseph like a flock. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. We've looked at the passages of contrast from Ezekiel. Moving on to the minor prophets in Micah chapter 5 and verse 4. The same passage that presents the birth of Jesus taking place in Bethlehem. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 4. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. Jesus presents this picture, this contrast between him, the good shepherd, who came to save his people, who came to lay down his life for the sheep, and the hired men who don't care anything for the sheep. This is a great pastoral theology passage. But let me just tell you one little reference here that gives such a great picture. The author Philip Keller wrote a masterpiece on Psalm 23. And he was a former shepherd. And he wrote a number of books recounting his experiences. And as a shepherd, he wrote this as he recounted his first flock. They belong to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate years of the Depression. And when I bought that first small flock, I was buying them literally with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. Because of this, I felt in a special way that they were in truth a part of me and I a part of them. This made those 30 youths exceedingly precious to me. And then he went on to describe the difference between himself as a shepherd and those feelings and a hired man. 
That's not how a hired man feels about the flock. Keller remembers a ranch operated by a tenant sheepman. And he said, he ought never to have been allowed to keep sheep. His stock were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease or parasites. The reason was that the hired shepherd had no personal interest in the sheep and did not expend himself in preparing green pastures for them. And so Jesus presents this picture. He is the good shepherd because he expends his life for the sheep. He is willing to lay down his life. No hired man would go that far. When the wolf comes, Jesus said, the hired man runs away. He's only there for his paycheck. He would never think of giving his life for the sheep. He would never endanger himself to protect them. This passage in Ezekiel has presented the Lord who would himself save his sheep as the servant and the prince David. What kind of shepherd was David? David was willing to put his life between danger and the sheep. And he recounts before he goes out to meet Goliath, how when a bear came and a lion came to devour the sheep, he endangered himself. He placed his life in jeopardy to defend the sheep, to protect them, and to save them from being preyed upon. No hired hand would do such a thing. And thus Jesus becomes the fulfillment of this passage. He becomes the greater son of David, the greater David, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of these promises. The I am fulfillment. I am the good shepherd. We noted as we looked over this passage and did some diagramming that this term, lay down my life, appears five times. It is the heart of what Jesus is teaching here. I save them by laying down my life. What does that make Jesus? That makes him the Savior Shepherd. The Good Shepherd is on a salvation mission. This is why he came. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Let's look at what Jesus says here, how he presents himself as the savior shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. First of all, there is this characteristic savior shepherd. The good shepherd is a savior shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus also presented himself as the savior shepherd of the Gentiles. I have other sheep that are not of this Israel sheep pen. 
He also presented himself as the self-sacrificing Savior Shepherd. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And then he presents himself as the sovereign, self-sacrificing Savior Shepherd. I lay down my life only to take it up again. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. These four aspects characterize Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life. As the I am who came on a salvation mission. As the savior shepherd who is willing to sacrifice his life and yet has the authority to take it back up again. What do we see of Jesus here as the good shepherd? The cross is the centerpiece of the work of Jesus. Remember John the baptizer, seeing Jesus coming toward him and shouting to everyone who was in the vicinity, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came to give his life a ransom. What was involved in Jesus saying, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I freely give it. There's several things that we want to see here. Several aspects to the death of Jesus, to his work as Savior, that are significant for us to understand. Jesus died a voluntary death. No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus died a voluntary death. What did he say to Pilate when Pilate said, don't you know that I can put you to death? You don't take my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down. Jesus willingly laid down his life. He died a voluntary death. He was not the victim of a plot to put him to death. His death was ultimately not the sentence imposed by Pilate. Jesus went to the cross of his own accord. He died a voluntary death for the sheep. A second truth about the death of Jesus Christ that we find throughout the New Testament is that he died a substitutionary death. I lay down my life for the sheep. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thirdly, Jesus died 
a vicarious death. This word vicarious means on behalf of, in order to provide a benefit for someone. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes about the vicarious death of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place in order to achieve something for us that would be of benefit. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. Do you see the vicarious nature of the death of Jesus Christ? It was for us. He died as a substitute. He took our place. But he also died to achieve for us a benefit. And the Apostle Paul speaks about it here. We're justified by his blood. We're saved from God's wrath through him. We're reconciled. We are saved through his life. Now, I said back when we looked at this passage in the beginning and made our diagramming, that that word for, as Jesus used it twice, I lay down my life for the sheep, is a significant word, a minor word, an incidental word in our English language. And yet as John uses it here, indeed as he uses it throughout his gospel, it's significant. That word for in the Greek is hooper. And it means instead of or on behalf of. So when Jesus is speaking, he is saying, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. Now, here's one more detail that shows the significance of this word and how John uses it. Every time that word hooper is used in John's gospel, it is always used in this context and with this meaning on behalf of, as a sacrificial giving of oneself for the sake of someone else. It's never used any other way in John's gospel, but exclusively to portray that truth. Jesus died a voluntary death, a substitutionary death, a vicarious death. And Jesus, the good Savior Shepherd, also died an all-sufficient death. Once again, in Hebrews chapter 10, and by that will, the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You know, this is one of those passages that's almost too good to be true. There has to be a catch 
We can't read it quite this literally, can we? We're going to see another thought like that a little bit later as we get into the remainder of this chapter. By that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. What did he say? Once for all. One sacrifice for all time for sin. One sacrifice by which he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then Jesus said, I not only lay down my life, but I also take it up again. He took up his life this good Savior shepherd, he took up his life on our behalf. Again, in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hallelujah. Jesus laid down his life voluntarily as a substitute for us, vicariously to achieve a benefit, an all-sufficient death that removed completely once and for all our sins and made us holy in the sight of God. But not only that, he took up his life again, for what purpose? On behalf of his sheep. Praise God. He took up his life again. It wasn't just laying it down on behalf of the sheep. It was also taking it up again on behalf of the sheep. What did God say? What did the sovereign Lord speak in Ezekiel? I will pasture them. I will lead them. They will be my sheep. I will care for them. Oh, it's what Jesus does. Hallelujah. All this day, Jesus has been interceding for you. You will sleep tonight. You will be oblivious of everything going on around you in your environment. You don't know who walks down the street. You don't know what vehicles will pass on your street. You don't know if there's someone who might have evil intent. But Jesus will be watching over you. And he will be interceding for you. He ever lives to make intercession. To completely secure the ultimate goal of our salvation. Being made perfect in this life. Through the work that he's already done to make us holy. And then bringing us into his presence. Forever and ever. Where he. Revelation chapter 7 tells us the lamb will be our shepherd forever, leading us to pasture and taking us to springs of living water. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. He took up his life on our behalf. He lives his life right now as our great high priest interceding for us, as our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He took up his life on our behalf and lives it on our behalf right to this very moment. In Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews writes, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the ultimate goal towards which Jesus is living and working as our good shepherd right now. This is why he ever lives to make intercession for us, to save us completely. He is working towards that day. He is working on our behalf. He is shepherding us. He is pouring his life into us. He is being to us as our head. All the life, all the fullness, all the enablement that we need. He is praying for us, guiding us, speaking to us. Standing on our behalf against the work of this world and the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has an ultimate goal in mind to save us completely, to take us out of this world that we might be with him so that we might enjoy him shepherding us throughout all of eternity. He is indeed the good shepherd. There's no one like Jesus. No shepherd could compare to him. No one could accomplish for us what he did. Jesus could very well say, all that came before me were thieves and robbers, but I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. How do you and I live? Why do you and I live? What is the means by which you and I live? It is the life of the shepherd. He laid down his life to take away our sins. He took up his life again, being raised to life so that he might be to us. Eternal life. Abundant life. All sufficient life. He is indeed the life-giving shepherd. Hallelujah. May your hearts rejoice because you are one of his sheep. And if you happen to be listening to this study tonight and you aren't sure in your heart that you know Jesus, that you could say, as he said, my sheep know me, I know my sheep. You could not with certainty say, I know his voice. I know when he speaks to me. 
That word no carries with it the idea of assurance. As Jesus uses it here. If you don't have the assurance tonight. That you belong to him. That his death for you has removed your sins. And given you eternal life. This is your opportunity to come to him. Because remember he's looking for other sheep. He wants you to be part of that one flock. He wants you to be among those that he shepherds for all of eternity. So come to him and say, Jesus, I want to be one of your sheep. I believe that you laid down your life for me. I believe that you died in my place. So that I might be saved from the wrath and the punishment for my sin. I accept your life in place of my life. And I thank you for making me one of your sheep by dying for me. And I look forward to the day as you keep me and as I follow you when you shall appear and I will be one of yours, cared for and shepherded by you for all of eternity. It is as simple as you and I praying in that manner for us to experience Jesus as our life-giving shepherd. Hallelujah.